is not. Take your Bibles. If you're not there already, get to Malachi. Uh, that is the last book in the Old Testament. You, you may want to get to the table of contents to get there. You may want to scan the QR code, whatever is going to make it easier on you, the book of Malachi. Uh, before we jump in together, just a, a real quick word. We, we have all these backpacks up here. Thank you for that. This is our way to serve the local community, our local schools. We have one more week for the backpacks and the school supplies to come in. So I'd encourage you to bring those in next week, as well as on August 20th, which is also next week, in between services, at starting at 1030 and ending promptly at 1045, there will be a members meeting at which we will vote on the proposed bylaw changes that you, a member, as, as a member, received in your email, as well as a sample ballot. So make sure you look at that. Be here at 1030. Once again, you cannot come uh, or you can't vote unless you're here, unlike the land of Chicago, where I come from. <clears throat> but here we have rules, so sorry. Um, so that's coming up uh, next weekend. So um, uh, before I jump in, I'll just say this. Um, it's a strong word from God this morning. And, and my hope and prayer, and I'm going to pray again, but my hope and prayer is that as you hear God's word this morning, that this very strong word of God, you hear coming from the heart of a man who loves you. Um, I'm going to meddle a little bit this morning. And uh, my main prayer this week has been, Lord, get the, usually, let me, let me little behind the scenes for you real quick. Usually as I'm preparing and I'm thinking about application, I'm praying, God, give me faces as I make application so I can make specific application to where people actually are. It doesn't help anybody if I'm making application for somebody who lives in downtown New York City. And, and we're here in Carroll County. That doesn't help anybody, so give me faces. And this week, my prayer was the exact opposite. Help me to take your word and, and speak it clearly, concisely, uh, and help me to get rid of any faces so that way you know that as I speak, if you feel a kick in the gut, that's the Holy Spirit and not Frank. I've been kicked in the gut enough this week. I might share a little bit about that depending on time. If I talk long enough, I don't have to, so let's see what happens. Let's get it. I'm not, and, and people are like, aren't you nervous when this happens? I'm not nervous. My wife and I were talking about this. I'm, I get anxious about these types of messages. I woke up last night a ton with one of the main points just continuing in my head. Um, so we'll see what that is. Um, either that was, um, that's the spirit of God, or, or that could honestly just be eating too late before I went to bed. So we'll see. <coughs> but before we jump in, let me, let me pray. Let me pray. Father, I love these people. I am so thankful that you have called us to this place. That you've privileged me with being able to do what I love to do. And you've given me the privilege of being able to do it with people I love, for people I love. Lord, I pray right now every heart in this room would, would, would be receptive to whatever your spirit's going to do. I don't know what's about to happen. I do know that everything we have done up to this point has said it perfectly. This is for you. Remove our selfishness. Remove our arrogance. Remove our, our nominal Christianity right now. You are the holy God. We have no right coming into your presence but for Jesus Christ. So we thank you for that. It's in his precious name I pray. Amen. You all seem nervous. 
<coughs> don't worry about it. We'll be okay. Um, I'm going to ask you a quick question to big, kick this off. Why are you here? Not like, because my mommy and my, no, I don't mean that. Why are you here at Uniontown Bible Church this morning? Why are you here? Is it because church is something you always do? Is it because this is where your family is? Is it because it's other people expect you to show up at church? Is it because you just desperately needed that free cup of coffee? Is it because you come on Sunday mornings, you're like, I just need, I need that, I mean, there's, a, there's an energy, right? There's an energy about being around people with a, a common focus. I just need that energy of corporate worship so I can, I can settle in. Is it because your kids enjoy the classes? Is it because you enjoy your kids being in the classes, right? Are you here because, because you, your, your, your family's guilted you into being here? Your neighbor's guilted you into being here? Maybe a coworker or somebody's guilted you into being here? And by me just saying that, I just made it wicked awkward for you. You're welcome. <clears throat> Why are you here? To worship God. So what does your worship look like? Is your worship a reflection of your respect and awe and fear of God? The answer is yes, by the way. Your worship is a reflection of your respect and your awe and your fear of God. So as you evaluate your own personal worship, and I don't just mean Sunday morning. This is just a small sliver of what's supposed to happen. As you evaluate your personal week-long worship, what does that tell you about your respect, your fear, and your awe of who God is? So we, we get here, this crazy passage in Malachi, and God, God clearly lays out an accusation against them at the end of verse 6 says, I, I'll just read all of verse 6. A son honors his father, a servant his master. And this is the word of God. If I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is your fear of me, says the Lord of armies to you priests who despise my name. There's an accusation. God just said, you have despised my name. That word despised means you've treated it lightly you have trampled on it you have disrespected it you have undervalued it and and the people their response to god's accusation you have despised my name the response of the people is to clutch their pearls and like well i never me how have we despised your name and god says i'll tell you how first you're worshiping me with scraps and leftovers the requirements of the sacrifices were spelled out very clearly in the law. You got Leviticus 22 that walks through a whole mess of stuff. It says if you're going to bring your offerings, it has to be an unblemished male from your cattle, from your sheep, from your goats. And if it's not an unblemished male from your flock, then it is utterly rejected. You, you, you get this in Deuteronomy chapter 15. If there is a defect in this animal, if it's lame or it's blind or it has any serious defect, you may not sacrifice it to the, to the Lord your God and Yet here are the people, verse 8, you present a blind animal for sacrifice, isn't that wrong? You present a lame or sick animal, is that not wrong? They're, they're bringing the, the lame, they're bringing the blind, they're bringing the sick animals as offerings. And, and, and God says to them in verse 8, why don't you go ahead and take those gifts and bring them to your Persian governor and see how, how thrilled he is with this 
broken, lame animal you've just brought to him as a gift. And yet, you bring these pathetic offerings to me like you've brought me something when in fact all you've done is brought me leftovers. You have brought me something that doesn't cost you anything because you can't sell that one anyway. It's not worth anything. It's not important to you. You're not going to miss it when you pull that one from the flock. You probably wouldn't even eat it because you're a little worried that that looks like it might have a disease. Here, God. Now, praise God. We don't have a backyard filled with lame animals here. But are you bringing him your leftovers? Many of us are. Yes, yes, okay. It's about finances, absolutely for sure. Are you giving him the first fruits of your income? That's all fine and good. We're going to get to that later in Malachi. I'm not going to tell you when because you wouldn't come that Sunday. So I'm not going to tell you when, but it's coming, okay. (coughs) Yes, it's about your finances. But it's about your energy as well. Do, Do you give God your energetic worship or do you just give him whatever's left at the end of your week? It's been a, it's been a long week. I just need to sleep in. Or, or perhaps, let me suggest something else. Maybe maybe you could go to bed a little earlier on Saturday night and get off of Netflix or YouTube or Facebook or Instagram or ESPN Plus. That one's me. Or um, <laughs> and stop playing your games. Go to bed a little earlier and get this. I know, especially you 915 crowd, we do have an 11 o'clock service. Don't tell them I'm going to make fun of them a little at 11 o'clock because a lot of them think it's the 1109 service. But okay, we're just gonna <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute too. <laughs> Stop looking at Sunday as the end of your week where you can only give him whatever you have left over. Sunday is the first day of the week. Start it fresh. But it's not just about finances. It's not just about energy. It's also about your time. Man, I have got so much to do. I've got to get this done. I've got to get that done. I've got to get this done. So, so church, I, I'm going to get there if my schedule allows for it. You hear that, right? If my schedule allows for it, you know what you're saying? If I've got some time left over. You have disrespected my name, God says, because you are worshiping him with scraps or leftovers. You are disrespecting my name, God says, verse 13, because you find worship to be irritating. You also say, look, what a nuisance. How tiresome. Such a weariness. Such a nuisance to have to bring God my best in finances, energy, and time. In fact, verse 13 says, you scorn it. The literal translation there is you snort at it. It's... It's this again. You know what that smells like? That smells like you have the attitude that he is lucky to have you. Hey, friend, God doesn't need you. We're going to talk about that in a second. But we treat him like he's, he's some beggar on the side of the road with a tin cup, and we chuck him a coin every other Sunday and say, there you go, a little something for you. How dare you? Treat our God like that. You disrespect his name by worshiping him with scraps and with leftovers. You disrespect his name (coughs) by seeing worship as something that is irritating. You disrespect his name when your worship is an opportunity to make much of yourself instead of him. 
verse 14, he talks about this one who is a deceiver. He's cursed. He's got this acceptable male in his flock that can make a wonderful sacrifice. And he makes a vow in front of everybody. I'm going to sacrifice. See this one? This is the blue ribbon prize cattle. I'm going to sacrifice this one to God. And when no one's looking, he does the switcheroo and he brings the lame one. If somebody looked at your worship habits, would they see somebody who is marked by integrity? Somebody who walks in on Sunday morning and says, okay, Lord, I am a wicked sinner. I don't deserve mercy. You are full of grace. It's the only reason I have hope. And then you go home and you treat your spouse the exact same way. Oh, Lord, I repent in dust and ashes for my attitude and for my actions. I repent for the way that I have spoken to people this week. And then you go onto Facebook and become that person on Facebook. Boy, you look good on Sunday. somebody looked at your worship habits would they be able to tell that you've been invited into a relationship with the lord of hosts the king of kings the eternal omnipotent star breathing god who has shown you unspeakable mercy and grace would they be able to tell would they be able to tell that 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 is a gift that god has given you when your attendance is based on personal convenience Would they be able to tell that this has been your invitation when your involvement with other believers is trumped by work or sports? Would they be able to tell when your giving is limited to whatever's in your pocket when you walk past the guilt boxes? I mean the giving boxes. Would they be able to tell that you have been invited by the king of kings to stand before him when you have become known as the person at Unitown Bible Church who complains about Would they know you have been invited as a child of the king when you leave service early or come late consistently? Ouch. I don't mean once in a while. Please hear that. Pastor said something about this a few weeks ago and got lit up on social media. I invite the conversation. But that's not what I'm saying. It happens occasionally. But when you make it your absolute norm to walk in 10 minutes late and leave 10 minutes early, what what is this all about? Is that a respect? For the name above all names? Can somebody tell that you've been invited into this incredible worship relationship with the one true God when you're here, but you're really not here for him at all? How does God feel about that? How does God feel about that when you're only giving him the leftovers, when it's irritating to you, when it's seen as a chance to make much of yourself? Well, we don't have to wonder because he tells us in verse 10, This is how I feel about your worship. I wish one of you would shut the temple doors. God says, no, no, no. It'd be better if you just shut it down. Shut it all down. You had the privilege of coming into my presence, God says, and yet you've started to see it as a symbol of your status instead of a sign of my long-suffering grace towards you. Shut it down. Shut it down. He doesn't need us. Some of you are like, he needs me. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need us. He tells us that. Look at verse 11. He said, right after he says, shut down the temple. He says, even with a temple shut down and no opportunities for public worship, verse 11, my name will still be great among the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting. Incense and pure offerings will still be presented in my name in every place because my name will be great among the nations no matter how pathetic your worship is. You breathe because he gives you breath. 
Your heart is beating because he's fueling your heart with rhythm and power. He is the author of our lives. Every good thing we have has come from him. Every square foot of this county belongs to him. All the mountains, every mountain, every hill, every tree, every blade of grass. The the wind belongs to him. Every bird that flies through the air does his bidding. He says this in Isaiah, to whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up and see who created these. He brings out the stars by number. He calls them all by name, because of his great power and strength, not one of them is, is missing. Think about that for a minute, right? The sun, our, our sun is just one star of a hundred billion stars in our galaxy, and it isn't even the biggest one. It's just kind of average size. And that, that's not even talking about the, the millions upon millions of other galaxies that are beyond uh, our, our galaxy, that no, there's no telescopes that can actually see them. Scientists have absolutely no clue how many stars there are. More than we could ever possibly fathom. And out of the hundred billion million stars, God brings them out by number. One, two, three, four, five. And then calls every single one of them by name. Sam. Z1753. I don't know how he names them. <laughs> That incredible, holy God has moved towards us in mercy and with grace. And we can't make it on time because we're groggy. This unthinkable, holy God allows us to enter his gates with thanksgiving, singing about his mercies, enduring forever, celebrating the fact that this great and holy God doesn't simply torch us in our sin, although he could and probably should, and instead of celebrating that, we complain that we don't like the volume. How does that happen? How does, how does that happen? story in 2 Samuel chapter 6, chapter 7 that I think kind of pictures it for us. This, you got to understand a little of the background, not a lot, but, but David has become king. He's now been coronated as king. He's established the capital of his kingdom. And, and this day has finally arrived. And this is a big day. It's a big day. The people of Israel have been waiting for this day for more than 20 years. This is the day that the Ark of the Covenant is going to be moved into the capital of the nation. Now, you've got to understand, the Ark of the Covenant has been sitting in Abinadab's garage for 20 plus years. Just sitting there. The, the, the Ark, just, okay. In your head, I know, we all think Indiana Jones. <laughs> it's not too far off. In, uh, um, the, the Ark is about, about, three and a half, about three and a half feet wide. I don't know, about two and a half feet deep, two and a half feet in depth, and, and, and it's, it's built of acacia wood. Doesn't mean a lot to me. But every inch of that acacia wood is layered in gold. Sitting on top of it are the gold forms of two angels, two cherubim facing each other. And that center spot between the angels is known as the mercy seat. This is the place where God dwells in the temple. This thing probably, and, and this, is, this is all estimation. I was just curious about this, so I looked it up. With that size and that 
acacia wood and the angels and the gold, that thing weighs about 600 pounds. That doesn't count the contents, and you understand the contents of the ark. It's uh, Aaron's rod. Um, it is the um, tablets, the two tablets, uh, which had the Ten Commandments. Uh, the second copy, in case you're keeping score at home. Um, <laughs> and then some manna. Um, you know, the heavenly Pop-Tarts showed up on the ground every morning, and they're like, oh, breakfast. Okay, that's, that's all in there, okay? They're all for a reason, and I ain't got time, I promise you. I was doing the story for this, and I'm like, man, I should just preach the story. But that's not Malachi, so i got to be really careful. <coughs> but this ark is really this, th- I mean, I'm going to boil it and oversimplify it in, in ways that are actually, I'm just not careful sometimes, so I'm going to be careful. But the ark is a, a visible representation of the presence of God, of the, the holiness of God, of the power of God, of the greatness of God. That's what this ark is, right? And now David's coronated as king. He's built the capital city. It's all established. It's time for this ark to be brought back to where it belongs. The people of God, it's time for their, their ark. And so, so David's like, let's go, get, let's go to Abinadab's house and let's get this thing. And so he um, organizes this giant parade. And when I say giant parade, I am not joking. He says, let's get 30,000 men. 30,000 men. And that, that, okay, remember how they count. They only count men. It was probably their families as well. I mean, 30,000 men. And let's get a cart. Let's get a cart. Let's get a brand new cart. And let's bring it to Abinadab's house. Let's put the ark on it. So, so if you think about parades, it's no New Windsor parade because there's only one float. But it's, it's the ark, right? The ark's on a cart. Every good parade got music. I don't know if there was a marching band. <laughs> um. But they all had instruments, it says. You had harps. I don't know how you march with a harp, um, but harps. Um, you, you got tambourines, a little more of my style. Drums, cymbals, um, other tuned instruments, it says. And, and, and they, I don't know how they get form, formed. I don't know how they're lined up. I just know this is the monstrosity of a parade. And David takes all of these people, 30,000 plus people, and he goes to the house of Abinadab, and he gets the ark out of the garage, and he puts it on the cart, and they, the, the parade starts, as the music starts playing, and they, they leave Abinadab's home, which tells it's up on a hill, and they're leaving Abinadab's home. Here comes, can you picture that for a second? I mean, this, this thing, this is a train of a parade that just goes on and on and on, and for those of you who like parades like I do, it's way too long. Um, as they leave Abinadab's house, they, uh, and I don't know why I pictured it like this, but whatever, um, the Secret Service guys, um, they put right next to the cart, and their names are Ohio, not Ohio, Ohio, and Uzzah. And they're on either side of the cart, and their, their job is to guide the cart and to walk next to the ark. My understanding of it is, in my head, is probably making sure that these people who are playing their instruments and dancing like absolute maniacs don't get too close to the ox and spook the ox. And so they're like, get out of the way, kind of like Secret Service would do when the president's coming through, right? So that's what I picture that. And here they go. They pull out of Abinadab's house. And this massive parade comes down the hill and crosses a few fields. And then they get to this guy, and i got to make sure I get his name right. Oh, I, I should have figured this out. It's like Bacon, but it's Nakin. Um, so Bacon, they get to Nakin's property. Now, for a minute, just think about this. Do you think they called and warned Nakin? Hey, man, we're going to be coming through your property? Or did Nakin just wake up with his coffee in the morning and look outside and be like, here come 30,000 people traipsing through your property? It's a little crazy. But as they're traipsing through the property and the the cart is going, the people are playing the music, and they're doing, they're dancing, and they're like, whoa, this is amazing, high five, low five, you know, fist bumps, whatever it is that they're doing, they're just going crazy, and, and the cart gets up to the threshing floor on Nacon's property. This is the, the hardened earth area where they would thresh the wheat. Sometimes it'd be, 
um, stone. Sometimes it would just be beaten down a little bit. There's a lot of different ways to do it. But as they get there, the, the oxen who are pulling the cart get to the top of the threshing floor and they, they stumble. I, I don't know what an oxen looks like when it stumbles. It's like, whoa. Um, when it stumbles, the, the, the cart wobbles. And when the cart wobbles, the ark begins to shift. Uzzah, standing next to the oxen, which are pulling the cart, on which sits the ark of the covenant of God, sees the ark begin to shift a little, and he puts his hand up to steady it. Right? That's what you do. Put the hand up to steady it. And immediately, he is struck dead. David is furious. How? How could you do this, God? Is, is this what you want? You want to just decimate anybody who comes near you? How could you possibly do this? We were doing this for you. How could you possibly do this? And then, and then David makes this throwaway line. And it's not a throwaway line. It actually is the whole point of the story. David says, how in the world can I possibly satisfy you? Right there. In that moment. David finally gets it. Let me, let me give you the main point of this section. It's a dangerous thing to come to God and tell him what should make him happy. David's like, God, well, you should be happy with this. We're trying to bring the ark back into your country's capital. I am your king. This is your people. The Uzzah, he is your servant. How could you do this? I got the ark. I got, I got the finest cart that was available. This cart had all the bells and whistles. I don't know what has a bell and whistle in a cart, but it's got everything. This thing's brand spanking new. I didn't even bother my, or borrow my, my cousin Billy's cart. I got my own cart. And I brought this thing, and it's, it's perfect. And we set up the parade, and we sang songs, and we played instruments, and I danced like a fool for you. And this is how you repay me. It's a dangerous thing to come to God and tell him what should make him happy. David's approach was, after all, I'm King David. And I'm doing this for you. He thought way too much of himself. Here's the problem. Numbers chapter 4, and I don't have time to turn there, but Numbers chapter 4, the first 14 or so verses of that chapter, actually spell out exactly how the Ark of the Covenant is to be moved whenever it is moved. The Levites are supposed to come, and they're supposed to carefully cover the Ark with material. And then there's four rings on either leg of the Ark, and they're supposed to take poles not just anybody, the Levites, specifically the Levites. You've got to be of the tribe of Levi to do this. And they put the poles through those rings, and the men are supposed to lift the poles. And actually, it says very, very clearly, if you touch the ark, you will die. It's pretty clear. But David's somebody. God, you should be happy with whatever I give you. You should be happy that I show up 10 minutes late. You should be thankful I'm there at all. 
You should be happy that I, I threw a coupon to McDonald's in the offering box. You should be thankful that I brought a backpack. It's a dangerous thing to come to God and tell him what should make him happy. Because what we see in this story of the ark moving is the holiness of God. This is the greatness of the Lord of hosts. When Uzzah touched the presence of God, the holiness of God, the power of God, the greatness of God, he was put to death as they were told would happen. Poor Uzzah. He's just an innocent victim, right? No. He's not. What do you mean he's not? I mean, the ark was going to fall. What else did he, could he have done? Um, see, Uzzah and Ohio were designated as those secret service officers who walked next to the ark for a reason. Because Uzzah and Ohio grew up with the ark in their home. They are sons of Abinadab. See, the ark had been there for 20-plus years. They got used to seeing it every day. They probably talked about it like, man, that thing is shiny. What are we supposed to do with that? Why is it here? Why, when, uh, I mean, the Philistines didn't want any part of it. That's how it ended up here. So who's going to come get it? When's this going to happen? I mean, but, but it's the ark. And, and after 20 years, it's, it's the ark. And here's the second point. A hazard of growing familiar with dangerous things is losing the fear of those dangerous things. Parents, you know that. As you teach your children to drive, when they first start, oh man, it's, I don't know what it is, 10 and 2 or 9 and 3, whatever it is now, 6 and 4. I, I'm not sure what it is anymore. But it's ten, right, it, 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 right there. Um, I got to drive with my daughter this week, and I got to watch it, and it was 10 and 2. And it's like, I, I want to tell her to relax, but I don't want to tell her to relax because this, this is serious. She needs to be, be very serious. And actually, well, I won't get into it, but th there it is, very serious. And so you drive, and you got to be real careful, and it's like, okay, blinker on four miles ahead. We're good. Okay, good, good. Okay, here we go, here we go. Turn, turn. Oh, I can't turn yet. Why not? Because there's a truck in the other lane. Well, don't hit it. I mean, you can still turn. It's okay. But, you know, it's good to be fearful of dangerous things. Fast forward two years, and they're like, woohoo! Right? And they're in danger. It's a hazard of growing familiar with dangerous things. There's just, um, you think about the, the two dudes in Las Vegas uh, who used to train the lions. And, and one of them was like, it's my pet. And the pet's like, it's my lunch. I mean, that did not go well. But what happened is you grew familiar with something that is dangerous. And so you're not as careful anymore. Uzzah grew so used to seeing the ark. He didn't fear it anymore. You have this. That story is David thinks too much of himself. And Uzzah doesn't think enough of God. When you think and look at how Malachi's, the people of Malachi's time are treating their worship and treating God, you see the same thing. You see a people whose worship has become very nonchalant. It, it, it's guarded by convenience only. You see a people who prioritize themselves over even God. You see a people who are get stuck in the rut of being bored with God and, and doing the bare minimum, and they find even that to be a frustration. Is that you? This morning, is that you? 
Your worship is a reflection of your respect and awe and fear of God. What is your worship saying? And, and before, before you, you're like, oh, man, God's just mean. But before you, but you do all that, I don't have time to do this, but I'm going to do this because I think I need to. You may be here and don't know what God has done for you. We started it last week. God says to his people, I have loved you. And you're sitting here and you're like, I just heard that story. That ain't love, bro. Let me, let me help you for a second. That story, and again, I want to preach the whole story at some point. Um, so come back at three this afternoon. I'm kidding. Um, after this craziness and Uzzah is, is put to death and, and David's angry and he storms off, he's got to do something with the ark. And so what he does, he sends it to this house, uh, the house of Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom was a Levite. So, okay, you're in the right, the right family now, so you get a little safer. And, and that thing goes in. We'll, we'll just say he parked it in his barn. Um, and you got to think to the, the next morning. The story goes like this. The next morning, o- Obed-Edom, uh, the guy, he's, everybody, everybody drinks coffee. So Obed-Edom's got his coffee. <laughs> and this is back in the year 10, or 1000 B.C., 1050 B.C., somewhere in there. And, and everything's still black and white then, right? I mean, there's no color yet, right? right? So, okay. That imagination is pretty crazy. But anyway, so he gets up, and he's looking, and he's like, drinking his coffee. He's like, the Martha, come here, Martha. And his wife comes down. He's like, the barn. And she's like, oh, my, what is that? I don't know why I'm doing Southern Belt stuff this morning. I'm sorry. And, and the barn, the barn, it's, it's painted red. It's got the nice white trim. The grass all around it is bright green. And beyond it, you can see the crops. They're taller than they've ever been. They go out, and they're harvesting. And it's like, look at the harvest we have. This is insane. And then his 15-year-old comes down the stairs like, good morning, mother and father. They're like, what is happening? He's 15. He doesn't talk like that. And then, and then he he's just catches a view of himself in the window. And he's like, look at all that stuff. Hey, wait a minute. The gray's gone. Well, we don't know how God blessed him, but what we do know from the story is that for the next three months as that ark sat in his barn, the entire nation knew that Obed-Edom and his family was being abundantly blessed, and it was all because of the presence of God. And what that shows all of us is that God's posture towards us isn't that, oh, I'm going to wipe you out. I'm going to wipe you out. It's, I want to bless you if you just look to me. I'm going to come into your presence. And me being with you is going to bring unspeakable blessings. I don't mean bank accounts. I don't mean perfect health. I mean something far greater than that. He comes to you with not a posture of smiting you, but a posture of this. I have loved you. And in your sin, I have provided for you the only answer you could ever, ever rely on for your sin. My son, Jesus Christ. And when he came, he came and he entered into humanity and he lived the perfect life and then he died where you should have died. And I'm telling you right now, my posture towards you is not to come into the world to condemn the world, but to come into the world to save you because you desperately need it. That's the posture of our holy, great God. God is not safe. He is not vanilla. He is not boring. He is not small, but he is so very good. He he could have come with judgment in his wings. He came with healing in his wings. For you, he gave you his son who willingly allowed his body to be broken and his blood to be shed for you. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, I want to invite you as we sing and as the service ends back to our prayer corner. There'll be people back there who would love to talk to you about that, love to pray with you.
What's your worship look like? Do you worship with true generosity, true thankfulness, true understanding of what God's done for you? I'm going to close in prayer, and as I do, I know some of you really do need to leave a little early. No judgment. (laughs) Hey, before I pray, thank you. Thank you for being a church who receives the word of God, who holds me accountable to preach the word of God. Please, if you heard anything that was my opinion, forget it before you walk out those doors. What I want all of us to do is reflect on who he is so that we don't make the mistake of telling him how he should be happy with us. But instead, we just celebrate how happy we can be because of what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Your gifts to us are numerous and precious, and we overlook them every day. Not the least the gift of your son Jesus Christ for our sin God I pray that you would forgive us of allowing for allowing our worship to be mundane muted inconsistent God I pray we would give you the best we have I pray for the one here this morning who might not know Christ uh, Lord I pray that today would be the day that they come to realize that this holy, omnipotent, omniscient God who should be feared moved toward them with the greatest act of love ever seen. A substitute so that we can have a relationship with that holy God. Thank you for Jesus Christ. It's his matchless name I pray. Amen. I invite you to stand. Why don't you sing with us as we close.